Welcome to the Metal Zone Podcast. It is September 2019, Friday the 13th. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And I'm finally back from Japan. <laughs> of which I talk a little bit about the experience I had there on my holiday. Uh, Tom will also tell us a couple of things uh, on the teleprompter, teleprompter that he printed with his, uh, well, new big printer that he really enjoys. Big printers are so nice. In the news section today, um, I for the last time, I, I do kind of talk about what the MPCNC story has concluded with and maybe try to give some context for if you've seen the YouTube video Um because I don't want people taking that the wrong way. Uh, in other news topics, Smoothie Boy V2 has launched as a Kickstarter, and we actually think it's a fairly decent board. Uh, we talk a bit about the different firmers that you can use. Uh, Rigiding shuts down. They're now a education company and not a filament company anymore, which is a nice turn of events. Uh, there's a 3D Benchy, 3D Benchy printing contest going to be happening at Earth. And maybe if you stick around, you'll get some tips for getting, uh, you know, a faster pinchy out. And we dissect the MakerBot method ABS announcement. On the topic of the week, we are going to talk about the non-planar 3D printing hype. So if you guys didn't know, you're usually only printing 2.5 dimensional. Non-planar 3D printing could really actually get you to 3d printing but yeah we will give our thoughts on if it's really feasible where it is feasible and the first experience that tom had um well trying it out on his linux uh, laptop uh will we see 4d printing next oh i have 4d <laughs> filament at home uh Ooh. on the questions <laughs> uh we just briefly talk about Filament drying, once again, filament dry boxes and where it is necessary or important to dry your filaments. If we still earn money with this podcast with YouTube Premium. And last but not least, something that we had been talking about last time as well, matching stepper motors to your stepper motor drivers. Stefan, how is Japan? You're back. I'm back. Finally, after four weeks. Yeah. Well, I have been in Japan for three weeks. It was really, really nice. So, yeah, I was telling you already that I have been to Asia already a couple of times. But I really enjoyed being in Japan. Totally honest. Uh, the only thing I didn't really enjoy that much is the kind of a long flight. So, 16 hours to tokyo it's and 18 rough. hours back yeah. it's rough um yeah. the, the flight and those those like um high-pitched what, what are those for high-pitched uh like for for birds or, or oh, to disperse yeah. the youth oh, which did probably work the rodent repellent ultrasonic rodents, devices yeah. all around tokyo that well, was horrible ultrasonic ultrasonic yeah, big air quotes there yeah <laughs> Yeah, one of the first. So yeah, maybe maybe let's uh, let's uh, get back to the beginning. So yeah, I've I've been three weeks in Japan. We were in Tokyo. We were in Hiroshima. We were on Bunny Island. We were on uh, in Kyoto. We were in Osaka, and then just like for two or three days in the mountains in like a Buddhist uh, Buddhist. Uh, monastery or something like that yeah. and yeah. then back in tokyo it was cool it was really nice uh yeah just as always 
I was really jet lagged when we arrived there because <laughs> nah, not, well, not you've got three weeks to adjust. Yeah, three weeks to adjust, but nah, it's it's still rough in the beginning, and you're just tired, and then you are at the airport. It has like forty degrees outside, and you're still wearing your long uh, pants and thick yeah. socks and everything. Um, it was rough. It was rough, but we didn't book a really bad hotel to start with just because we knew okay um, if you're already like really jet lagged you don't want to end up somewhere where you don't feel comfortable so no, no pod hotel for you <laughs> sorry no pod hotel for you pod. you're just getting your, your, your sleeping pods ah, yeah, yeah no 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 um actually well we weren't in the main travel time there were lots of chinese visitors there and koreans and even japanese Uh, people traveling around but i think the high season in japan is like spring with the cherry blossom season and then in fall again where all of the maple trees change to different colors so it wasn't it was crowded but it wasn't that crowded and hotels they weren't cheap but they also weren't like horribly expensive to be honest um so yeah we had quite a nice hotel at first and we paid around like was it 120 euros for two a night which is kind of okay if you're like directly in tokyo hotel and everything yeah yeah Yeah, but then sorry yeah yeah keep keep going keep going yeah but then the first day when we were looking for breakfast because i just couldn't help myself eat rice and miso soup and beans for breakfast i i just need to have something something sweet in the is, morning in my is coffee. that the the traditional thing um the, i don't know what's like totally traditional well, in not japan like traditional he, not every bavarian has vice versa for, for breakfast either but <laughs> but um the thing that is usually eating e- eaten in the morning i think in japan is like rice and a bit of soup and like I have a feeling that the leftovers of yesterday, so like okay. be it beans or omelette or things like these. And I'm just a sweet breakfast guy. So yeah, we were looking. You should f- visit the UK some sometime. <laughs> well, I would disagree. <laughs> well, I can start with having like bacon and eggs for breakfast after I had my first like peanut butter butter jelly sandwich. Right. Uh, then I'm totally fine. But I need to have something sweet beforehand well anyway so we were looking for just like a cafe or starbucks to have breakfast um the first day and we ended up in a really nice cafe but they had just in front of their door one of the horribly loud uh rodent repellent ultrasonic things which is just exploding everyone's heads there who is still able to hear like 19.5 kilohertz frequencies (laughs) Yeah, you showed the the spectrum analyzer screenshot. Ah. I mean, it, it's amazing that you're still hearing like almost twenty kilohertz, but it's still. horrible, and it's everywhere in Tokyo. Yeah. So you just well, those things are really directional. So the thing is, you walk around a corner, and then just your head starts to explode, and I don't know how people can bear that. Because I, mean, it, it, I, 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 tw- I tweeted that he was like, hey, you know, at least after two days, you won't be hearing it again. <laughs> <because> <laughs> you'll be deaf at that frequency. Yeah. No, it's yeah, it, 
it was uh, it was really unpleasant to be honest and um they have that quite often there but you also i have only seen i think one rat on my whole uh trip to japan almost right yeah (laughs) i guess no birds i don't know if the birds were also repelled by the device or if they're just extinguished by some other i don't know thing i I, I feel bad for for dogs and cats they they tend to hear those frequencies really well yeah yeah anyways did did you do any any like makery hobby stuff there at all or was it really just shut off for three weeks and and let everything pass i i thought about that because there's quite a big maker space in tokyo and i thought about just like getting in touch with them and asking them whether i can um yeah just say hello but then i thought okay it's holiday um stay away from work as much as possible um one really thing, uh, one really interesting thing, which was kind of engineering related, was like visiting the, uh, how's it called? Team Labs. Uh, just give me one second. Googling during a podcast. <laughs> Uh, team uh, the team labs borderless exhibition in in tokyo which is uh, kind of an art exhibition but the art is not like paintings it's uh lots of audiovisual things so you have a room with a thousand rgb lamps in there and they right. are changing colors in a really nice pattern um you have a room a room which is which was huge like 20 by 20 meters where millions of led strips were coming down from um the ceiling so you have a monst- a monstrous three-dimensional screen in there and there they were showing really cool things in there so like fire which was burning there or waves which w- were going through the room um one room had like 200 of those three-dimensionally controllable um, show lights in there, which you also see if you go to a concert or something like that. And they were all working together. So, for example, they were tracking a point in the room. So all of them were kind of focused on on one point in the room. It was really awesome to see. So um, that kind of, that was really nice. That was really nice. and really to everyone who is visiting like like tokyo for once go there it's 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 just awesome to see um it's kind of crowded to be honest but um the exhibition is really nice go there as soon as 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 early as possible because uh for example um the thing i was telling you about with the lamps that were changing color it's called i think the um lamp force or something like that lamp not lamb um (laughs) You had to wait there like one and a half or two hours in line just to oh, get wow. into that room for two or three minutes and then you're kicked back out again. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. It was but really cool. No. It's it's on vacation, you have the time. You don't no. have any, you don't have to be anywhere. No. Public transportation was great. So, well, you yeah. maybe know it, from, know it from Germany, but the trains are seldomly on time and in the three weeks we were in japan and we were using lots of public transportation every where every train was like perfectly on time like to the second on time yeah besides one that was kind of delayed because of a thunderstorm 
public transportation is awesome. That's not like, you know, the the, the local um, transportation. That's a, a long distance train. Um, both. Right. Both. So okay. public transportation in, in, the, in the cities was really nice, but also the Shinkansen train, which is yeah. the, uh, the, the, the bullet trains they have in Japan. That was also just like always spot on. And we were already kind of scared because we had some transit times from one train to another which were just like two or three minutes but that's totally fine there uh, what if one train is late no it just doesn't happen all shinkansen trains in japan together have just around five minutes of delay every day summed up wow uh, that is, tell that, that to the really deutsche good, bahn yeah, <laughs> yeah where, where trains sometimes just don't even happen and yeah. that's not out of the ordinary but, but the thing is yeah. they're they're like they're bullet train system they have um specific rails or like dedicated rails just for this type of train so they don't interfere with like normal transportation between cargo cargo and stuff stuff like that that might block up rails that helps a lot sure does so i guess you did enjoy that it it sounds like it you you enjoyed that trip very much uh definitely very nice. Yeah, I, I still need to check that check out that that entire Asia region. I've, I've not made it very far into that yet. <laughs> we we need to go to to Shenzhen once and visit like all three D printer manufacturers there are on the planet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that that entire area is is massive. Yeah, um, that would be fun. Um, huh. I th- I think some some folks that that, that we were right with on Twitter actually live in that area. Mm-hmm uh yeah i i think it's interesting i well i've never been to china before but i have heard people well which i talked to in japan uh, that have also already been in china that they enjoyed japan way more because of the cleanliness of the cities the kindness of the people the just overall sense of like um how do you say um it's it's just great being there. The people are nice. They're shy, but they're really nice. English is quite hard there, but it's enjoyable to be there. All right. Well, I guess then uh, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Not quite China, but not quite Japan, but still supposedly the people are nice there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well. Yeah. Should we move on? Uh, you you you're getting me all all envious. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't get much vacation, but uh, you need to go on vacation. Just I I even well, thought about really deinstalling Twitter on my phone. I actually already installed ooh. like YouTube Studio and all of the things that were related to YouTube from my phone. I just had it on my iPad, so at least during the day when we were just on the streets, I didn't fall into the trap and check comments or things like these views yeah that, i feel like i've i've gotten good at that too where it's like okay you you know i check comments when i want to check comments yeah. um but like these last two days i've not really checked comments intentionally because like <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah understandable don't, don't need to um cool that was your big project that was my big project for the last four weeks or three weeks. Uh, I'm now getting back into like also working for YouTube related stuff. But what have you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to get into more and more of that in a second. But first, uh, let's finish off the project section. Uh, the first episode that we did on this podcast where we had the topic of the week 
of the bi week. We, we should rename that, that mm. section because it's not every week. Um, big printer or fast printer? And I've been very much enjoying my big printer, the Raptor 2.0. I mean, it ain't perfect. Not by a, by a long stretch, but just having access to a printer that does 40 by 40 by 50 centimeters is, is just eye-opening. It's just like, oh, I can print that. Like, no problem. I just, there, it takes a week, but you can print that. <laughs> Um, that's really nice, and I've been printing a teleprompter uh, completely on on that printer. Um, I had a, a job that I was filming where I needed to bring a teleprompter, and my current one or my old one that was just like a particle board screwed together, like the angles weren't even right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I didn't want to show up with that, so um, I printed a new one inspired by. Uh, you, you were just googling a second ago. Now yeah. I have to to search for the, for the email. Um, by a guy who sent me a small Daniel. Daniel, yes. Um, thanks for looking that up. Um, who sent a? Did he send you one too? No. He also sent me one. He sent you one too, right? Yes. So he sent a, a small, like, what is it, seven-inch screen size, maybe. And most, Stefan, you have yours handy. That's that's perfect. Wait a second. Um, and I mean, I, I usually use like a twelve-inch laptop screen. Yeah, that's the one. Um, for my uh, teleprompting needs, and that one just—I mean—was a great idea. It's—it's it's really good that it's printable at that size. But I needed a camera mount, I needed a larger screen, I needed a, a proper way to hold um, the screen. So I printed one, and it turned out beautifully. So that's the one. That—that that one is very small. Yeah. So well. I printed a larger one, and it's—it's it's just again. The project itself, I might make a video about it because it's just it's a nice project and you can you can very easily do it yourself. But uh, it just proves that point again that having access to a printer that 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 can print large, I feel like is so much more enabling than having access to a printer that can churn out parts quickly. But would you have really needed the four hundred by four hundred space? Uh, I think three fifty would have done. Okay. Is it really that big? Because I couldn't judge from the picture that I saw on, on Twitter. I mean, it it uses a well, an eleven point six inch uh, laptop screen, so twelve inch. So it's it's a like a decently sized screen, and like the entire hood that the camera is okay. looking through is about. It's a good. It's over thirty by thirty. Okay. I think. So maybe I could have done it on the CR10 if I really would have squeezed it in, but it's you know mm. just designed. Big. It's uh, it's just so nice. <laughs> so I have been using a teleprompter in the past for a couple of videos until I broke the the glass. <laughs> the thing that always bothered me when using it, I was just using a, a cheap like um, picture frame glass that I got from the hardware store. Yeah, that you get all of the letters twice because they're reflected on the front side and on the back side of of the glass. Can you get around that, or how so how do you? How okay, do you the, make it usable better? What I thought you were going to say with that picture frame glass um, is that it distorts the image and makes and, and degrades the image quality, which picture frame glass also does because it's not flat. It's it's really wavy and has different thicknesses. Mm. So you get if if you just use like spare picture frame glass, that that's also the problem there. But like the double reflection is also something that I'm dealing with. Yeah, I just have a really large screen and a relatively thin um, glass in there, so yeah. they're relatively close together and it's not it doesn't really matter much but what you usually get for teleprompter needs is um i guess a, a tinted not glass or, or polycarbonate or, or acrylic um but with a, a clear 
acrylic sheet and a like a semi mirror reflective uh, film on top ah, okay. I could use for like window tint okay and that does cut down on the light that actually reaches the camera mm-hmm. but it also cuts down the double reflection that you're getting from uh diffraction on the back of the glass okay because you get like if it has to it, the point where it refracts on the on the back side it has to travel through that sheet twice Mm-hmm. And the reflection up front is just directly on the surface. Yeah. So that really cuts down on that, but I don't. I don't need it. My screen is big enough. Um, and you know, if you use the right font, if you if you use the right font weight, it really is okay. It's really really readable. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I need to get this one working again because staring at a piece of paper which is above the lens is just sometimes looks a bit disturbing to the viewers. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess it's... Do, do people actually comment on that? Um, they did comment on that. I think the beginning where it stood way closer to the camera. So nowadays I try to just get away from the camera a little bit more. That the angle difference between the lens and the paper I'm reading from isn't right. that big. <laughs> But still, yeah, the, it's not a good solution. The the first sort of teleprompter kind of thing that I used to do, and you can actually see in my early videos that I had the mouse scrolling along, is I, I just took my phone and mounted it above the camera yeah. um, and had a Google Doc open. So <laughs> I'd have it sideways and just scroll through. So I was always looking slightly above the camera, which looks weird, but at yeah. least I, it wasn't that far off. It was always just that distance. <laughs> and that worked, actually worked surprisingly well for a while. Yeah. And then I built myself some sort of teleprompter. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, you're, you're standing in front of the camera way more than I do. I usually just use it for like the outro. Um, but yeah, I don't know. In the future, I really envy you or I really envy all of the people that can just get in front of the camera, talk about things and then use that like for 90% of the video and then just add a bit of B-roll at the positions of the cuts where you just screwed up your line. Yeah, well, well, it's training. It's training. You've been doing it for five years, six I years. Think longer than that. <laughs> If I look back when when I published my first video, that which is actually still online, it's still very, very. Oh man, I also video. watched mine just a <laughs> bit ago. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, we've we've I, I think we've improved. Uh, I hope we did. Definitely. Yeah. After the fir- after actually my first video, I started writing scripts because I, the first one that I did, I was just speaking in a lovelier mic, just random things, and it sounds horrible. I'm s- I'm kind of embarrassed of it, but I also don't want to like remove it from the channel because it's a bit of history. Hey, the um, what was the MKBHD yeah. update? The, the V5 uh, update, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that went viral again these last few days. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> who knows who knows yeah. you know? at some point you're gonna make millions from your first video <laughs> yeah right <laughs> ancient history yeah definitely right um let's move to the new section this topic that has been looming over over everything so far um the mpcnc yeah this was quite quite a big project you did when i was in japan so you streamed for almost a whole week every day It- I think it's seven, seven or eight videos total now. One okay. with like the overview, and then like daily, one and a half to two and a half hour build. Um, and let me let me use the podcast here for those of you who are listening to the podcast. Um, 
to, to give you a bit more more insight and and like my more detailed take on things um because i feel like in a youtube video that that's hard to to bring across i've made some notes here first i don't hold any grudges against ryan i can totally understand his position um I, i've just decided that the, the project is not for me uh I don't like the way how this entire thing has turned into, well, screw that guy, screw this guy. That doesn't help anyone. Mm. Um, and Stefan, we were talking about this before the before we started uh, recording here, is I'm, I'm very much aware of like the, the leverage I have by being a influencer, as much as we, we both <laughs> love that word, um, by just having a, you know, such a, a, a reach, reach, range? Reach. I think reach. Yeah. But by having people who will actually watch my stuff, and that there is a bit of a responsibility there. So, you know, let's let's back up again and look at what's what was kind of the, the, the core points, I guess. Um, is it a derivative? Is it protected by copyright? And like what is the right thing to do? Um and because I don't want to to answer that, I don't want to fight that through. I don't have the energy, nor mm. do I want to turn this into a shit show. Uh, I, I was just like, okay, that's 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 that. Uh, yes. Do you have? Did you 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 were gone? So I yeah, I was gone. Catching I, up on things. Do, do I you have? have a, I have seen your Twitter post where you first post the part, and then just a day later or so. I've seen, oh, yeah, I removed it again. And I thought, okay, why did he do that? But I didn't read, like, the whole conversation. Um, your video cleared a lot of that up. Um, Which, I mean, you asked me, hey, wh why why make a video about it at all? That was the reason why I, why I made that final, that last video about, like, hey, this is this is what's what the situation is. This project is ending for me. Um, I, I didn't want to just leave this out, like, hanging. You know, yeah. the machine is, is kind of not cutting well. Like, so why are you stopping now? Because you would have liked to continue working on the MPCNC, wouldn't you? I mean, I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And improving it for your own purpose, because, well, I've seen the, the chattering issues. Um, I think it's a nice design. I think it's a nice idea. Um, I think it's also a, like, a nice showpiece just to show what you can do with. 3D printed parts that you even can even uh, build a CNC router that might be able to cut aluminum. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of upset to see that you stopped the project because I think you could have improved the machine. Um, you could have shown the community that something like that exists and even motivate other other people to build one on their own and improve the project and make the machine usable for even more people around yeah i mean i could i could still do that right i could still publish as and see and and just be like okay that we're gonna do it that way but uh again i fighting against windmills and having that that backlash is mm. not not great now there were also a few discussions on like hey you know your your design mod like why are you even doing that like it's it's not even better like you should stop um or i've seen in the uh in the v1 forums where someone was like saying hey your belt trap or that belt trap that thomas is showing that that will never print um but i think that that's like an entirely 
different discussion whether the mm. parts are actually an improvement or not and yeah. i don't think it 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 changes anything on like who can do what with which designs mm. um yeah i mean again i can totally understand ryan's position um he obviously it's it's his job it's his income uh when he's selling part and he's afraid that you know when there are open parts that anyone can print and sell um that that might impact his bottom line uh as in you know somebody else will start taking the designs and, and selling them on ebay which apparently has happened with the first version of the mpcnc um or what is it people will will use third-party parts and then come to ryan for support which i think is all i mean it all has two sides to it mm. like being being more widely spread i mean of course bringing up like hey you know prusa obviously is is the big one it's this, it's an open source business that is extremely successful um i've seen in in the 3d printing world that is exactly what has been happening and and that has in fact been encouraging uh, encouraged by the community with mm. like mental parts being sold on ebay for i don't know i think the early ones were like 150 euros or so now they're a prusa set a set of prusa parts is like 25 bucks um <laughs> that all plays into it uh, and of course it's it's harder if it's at this point at, at this like earlier and not as widespread point it's much more of an impact on on someone's bottom line if all of a sudden someone comes in and has less effort to put into um, producing a set of parts because ryan also designs them supports them and then prints the parts and sells them and that's that's his income like i i get that i understand that um but but yeah. still yeah I, i i think it's good that you have shown your reasoning why you stopped working on the project because otherwise maybe people would just have like bothered you all of the time hey, when when is the next video coming out and you need to explain it all the time where you where you stopped working or just don't respond at all But, yeah or yeah. there's like theories coming up of like hey that's what actually happened and no yeah Yeah, as I said, I, th I think it's really unfortunate. Um, I would also really have been quite interested in the design, but yeah, it's just as it is. I, I guess what we can take from it is at least there's like a lot of discussion now going on with a lot of constructive input on like what can copyright protect and like the entire, okay, is this a derivative and what is it? All that, that there's a lot of, actually very good information and correct information being put out there right now and i think there's there's definitely a need for that mm. um because right now everyone just assumes okay i have this part i slap a license on it and that's like that's set in stone but yeah. it's not that easy there, there's reasons why there are lawyers specialized on copyright law and yes I, w i was in this entire discussion which i have you know after the video kind of stayed back from um i've intentionally been pushy like I, i'll definitely admit that um because of um, uh, because of this outcome that there is now a discussion happening on what actually is the like legally allowed and what is the right way to do things mm. so i think we come out smarter than we went into this mm. i would have liked to to continue but my, again like i said it's just Will, will this actually change the way um, or will this change the projects you are working on the, in the future? Will you, 
will you ask yourself in the future, is this something which is really worth working working on or um, might there be the same things happening as as with this thing right now and you actually have been you were aware of the license and you were asking ryan before you started with the video series um that he gives you the approval approval to use kind of his design in your commercial videos or uh, your video not explicitly not explicitly. not explicitly so last year's murph um i interviewed him um and the video is still up on the channel and we ended hey should i build one and he's like yeah you should Okay. That is what I consider implicit. Okay. Um, uh, he, t implicit approval or whatever no. um, for, for me to, to build this thing. And he's also said on Twitter that it's, I mean, he's, he's fine with me making modifications, using this in videos. He would even be okay with me selling the parts, which is actually something that is outside of that original license because he's, he's like, I mean, the parts are in C, the parts are non-commercial. So that is actually something that he'd be giving to me um, as, a, as an approval that I can now sell these parts. And again, that is, that is not something that if we consider the part a derivative, that's not a right that I get. Okay. As always, I have no interest in, in selling parts. Um, I'm strictly so far been, been staying out of hardware because like hardware has such a, a rat's tail. Yeah. Pandora's box effect on it. Once you open that, you're you're in the deep end. So I'm I have no interest in selling parts. Um but yeah. All right. So other news. Other news. <laughs> This yes. was kind of the thing you were yeah, you were kind of working on for the last weeks. But um you have put something with the smoothie board V2 Kickstarter in the show notes. Yes. Open source Tell me hardware. About it. <laughs> um so smoothie board um i've i've been using smoothie board for the last years on and off I've, i've been doing project with it um and it's a nice board it's like in that trifecta of having marlin boards having do it and having smoothie it's like somewhere in between like it's a it's a powerful 32-bit system it's good hardware But it's it's slightly proprietary proprietary hardware. Um, there are some third-party boards that Smoothieware runs on. It's, I mean, it's an interesting system. It's really modular. Mm -hmm. And Arthur Wolf, the creator of the Smoothie Project and maintainer of the Smoothie Project, has launched the Smoothie Kickstarter, Smoothie Board V2 to be specific, um, which is basically a new board, a new generation of board. Um, three of them to be specific with now on the better versions, uh, Trinamic drivers, which I guess is a given on a new board these days. Um, and just overall more features, more powerful hardware. So that's live. And the pledges start at 85 euros for the V2 mini. Okay. So the mini is kind of like a, a Rambo mini alternative, I guess. Mm -hmm. That doesn't um, have TMC drivers. That one does not have TMC okay. drivers. That is correct. How does a smoothie board actually compare to, like, for example, do it? Hardware-wise, so I think with the V1 smoothie board, the do it has slightly better hardware. Mm -hmm. Though, I mean, if you have a well-designed board, like, there's not much difference in in hardware. Like, what is it going to be? Okay, uh, what drivers does it use? If it has pluggable, like that, that thing's smooth. That point's smooth. Mm -hmm. um, what MOSFETs does it have and how mm -hmm. much current can it handle? 
and like what protection features does does it have and expansion features mm-hmm. and hardware wise i've always thought the the smoothie board was actually pretty good and i mean for me it's, it's always worked well um i think the v2 is pretty much in line hardware quality wise with do it or is it do it too yeah that's the current generation of do it boards so it's a it's a really good board i think um from i mean i've not used it yet but it looks to be just good hardware if you're um if you're okay with smoothieware try it out um well try it out how can you try a smoothieware <laughs> if you don't have a smoothie board this is actually yeah, one of the questions tough. i wanted to ask you so um this does use a different type of firmware than the marlin firmware that probably most of us are well have running on our printers if you have a chinese printer which was released in the last three years um How does so there there's smoothieware, there is rep rep firmware or how how's it called? Yeah, which is what's running on Duet. Which is running on Duet. There's Marlin, there is Repetier, no. Yeah, Repetier firmware. There's there's also some proprietary Chinese firmwares. Okay. Um, for example, what we've seen on the Monoprice Delta Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's an ecosystem of board and firmware and all that. Mm. So As in, as in, how does it compare? As in features or, or uh, so, the way so it works? So the, the the thing I was asking myself is there really the need of having like that many different projects or yeah firmwares? Um, is there the necessity that they all exist like next to each other, or wouldn't it be mm. better if like everyone is putting his development? money or or efforts into into one big firmware which is then running on all of those boards yeah i guess what you still have to consider is uh prusa firmware is basically a fork of marlin at that point it's yeah. its own version of marlin it's not really related to mainland anymore so we have yeah. those four versions i mean right now they're all kind of specialized on different things mm-hmm. um marlin traditionally is the only one that runs on 8-bit boards maybe repetir but that's closed um smoothie or reprep does not reprep firmware does not run on the old at mega mm-hmm. chips but to be honest there's really no reason to use those anymore mm-hmm. aside from being able to plug it into a computer and, and flash it with arduino mm-hmm. because those chips are feature wise and performance wise really bad and they're really expensive like mm-hmm. they're one of the most expensive or <laughs> the most expensive bits to a uh to an electronics platform yeah. and 32-bit <coughs> chips are actually cheaper <laughs> that's yeah. that's the other thing <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that's Marlin, then Smoothieware. Smoothieware is, is kind of its own thing for some reason. And then Doit obviously has all the features, like everything just in there. Um, like if you look at G-code support mm-hmm. on the RepRep wiki, Doit supports them all, basically. Okay. So that's the powerhouse. That They're all kind of catered to different, well, areas of, of the market, I guess. Okay. Because I was all, I am not really deep into that topic and i was always asking myself okay what benefits would i have if i would exchange my old 8 bits i don't know uh board with a do it for example um of course i get um, smaller micro stepping but also feature wise does it support features that would improve the quality of my prints or would improve the printing speed or Possibly, things like yeah. this 
Yeah, so that's I mean that that's what Doit is all about. Um, just by having that extra compute power, you're never going to run into like buffer underruns where your board has to pause for a second. Um, the thing that it has a really powerful web interface built in. Yeah, um, that is I think a huge pro for Doit. Um, and they all can do sort of different things. I feel like Smoothie is by far the most flexible one of them mm-hmm. because you can you can configure like every pin to be like an input for this feature block and trigger that. And it's it's almost its own programming language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Marlin is, is really pushing into that. Okay, X, Y, Z axis. And then you have the alternative uh, config for Delta. We have your, I think it's also X, Y, and Z in Marlin. Where it's, where it's really you have these monoliths of of a configuration, mm-hmm. and then do it kind of does it all again. Okay, um, <laughs> but yeah, on the, I mean, if you look at what Prusa is doing with Marlin on an eight bit board, mm-hmm. that is incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also the, the thought: okay, what could with this amount of of development effort, what could this be if it was a thirty two bit board? Yeah, if it had more flash, more RAM, more mm-hmm. everything. Because you spend so much time in just optimizing your code that it fits on the microcontroller, that it runs properly on the microcontroller. Yeah. Um, of course, Joe has been saying several times that why do we need a 32-bit controller? See what we can all do with uh, the old 8-bit ones. But I'm also thinking about yeah, um, what's the downside of having a 32-bit controller? It's cheaper. It's more powerful. It's, I don't know if it's probably a bit harder it's, to implement it's a new not really because with with an 8-bit you i mean i th- i think marlin is going to, into the direction of actually optimizing some bits with assembler programming okay. which is like the the highest echelon of uh, programming languages and i mean with a 32-bit board like you have just so many more cycles that you can use for for computing stuff and you have so much more performance per that one clock um, or that one clock tick, you don't have to spend time on over-optimizing stuff. And that's, in fact, that's what we're seeing with like game programming and, and app programming on desktop computers or, mm. or you know, your regular, regular x86 computers. It's like, oh, you use this framework, you use Python, you import that, you, you have a ton of overhead. Like mm. you could probably do it with one-tenth of the compute power. But yeah. just getting there and getting something that works yeah. well and yeah. maybe spending a bit more on hardware is possibly the better trade-off than spending you know a ton of time and not even getting that far mm. but being able to run on like the smallest possible hardware okay like these 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 processors again um the 32-bit chips are actually cheaper than the the at mega 2560 that's being used <laughs> so you you get you basically get that for free that that luxury of not having to to do everything in a hyper optimized mm. way and well we have seen 32-bit controllers becoming way more popular over i think the last year because even all of the new chinese printers they start to be shipped with 32-bit controllers i don't know either if either because it's a marketing gimmick or yeah because um you don't need a a a separate board for the lcd from time to time you can do all of that directly on um, on the board itself, you have web capabilities, con- connectivity, and all of that stuff, which you did not have before, or where you need to have specific, separate electronic parts that handle that specific task. 
Yeah. Um, in fact, the Raptor is already running a 32-bit board, just running Marlin 2.0, which actually is not in its like production-ready version yet, so it's still beta. So, uh, and it does still have bugs every now and then. Um, but recently, Big Tree Tech um, sent me their SKR, the SKR board, uh, the <laughs> 1.3, which is like a 25-euro um, main board with a 32-bit processor. Mm-hmm. Um, that runs Marlin 2.0. With drivers or without? Drivers on top, but if you just get a Lego drivers, those are 10 bucks for four. Yeah. So okay. like really not not relevant in the price. But that that is just amazing. Just getting rid of that at Mega and putting in a 32-bit uh, chip, you you suddenly have a, a really cheap board that maybe wasn't even possible with an at Mega. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's that's nice with 32-bit. Um, and yeah, w- one last note on firmware. I believe the the current smoothie board with the LPC 1769 can possibly already run Marlin, mm-hmm. Marlin 2.0. Um, I think like the, the standard cheapo 32-bit processor is the LPC 1768, which the SKR also uses. Um, the new one uses the LPC 4330, and I just Googled a second ago. I think there is uh, support coming up for Marlin. So you're going to have that that option of, hey, do I actually want, with this hardware, do I want to run Marlin, or do I want to run Smoothieware? That's pretty cool. the project that, I'm, uh, that I want to do. So yeah. that that is, that is, in fact, very nice, yeah. Mm. But it also maybe makes the development of like things like Marlin more complicated, because before they only had to develop for um the um the mega uh, the oh, how's it called i'm already getting down at this mel, friday at mega 2560 at mel. <laughs> you, you you still seem jet lagged <laughs> well i've been working all day so <laughs> so Me yeah f- first week of work well okay yeah yeah so um i, th- yeah, I think ma- it, it it makes it it makes it uh, I don't have any insights there, but I could imagine that it's more complicated making a piece of software work on many different like processors than just like Absolutely. tailor it for one. It creates a bit more upfront work, um, mm-hmm. which is why Marlin 2.0 has taken a while and it wasn't like in there originally. But Marlin 2.0 now has a hardware abstraction layer. So the mm-hmm. actual functional code doesn't see the hardware itself, but it just ah, says, okay. okay um, I want to turn on this output or I want to turn on the output that is controlling the heater. Mm-hmm. And then the hardware abstraction layer looks at, okay, what board am I using? Ah, that's that pin. Okay, what commands do I need to use for this board? And that's all invisible. Ah, so cool. that's all written once and, well, plus bug fixing. But like the actual functional stuff builds on top of that. Ah, Just cool. like, you know, Windows runs on an AMD or an Intel processor or even on a Pentium 4. <laughs> um, so because it has that hardware abstraction layer. Cool. Well, All right. Processors isn't really a good comparison. Maybe graphics cards. Let's go like that. <laughs> uh, uh, sad news. Sad news. Yeah, Rigid Ink shuts down. So yeah, just I think this was a week ago where Rigid Ink announced that they are well. Rigid Ink shuts down the production of filament. Yes, is yes, I think the right way to put it. So Rigid Ink is a UK company. Yes. That has been in the filament and 3D printing market for quite a while. I actually have never been using their material up until like a couple of weeks ago. 
<laughs> when I got a role. Yeah. You're missing out. It, it was it was actually really good stuff. I did okay. a few tests on on Philoween with the materials, including the ASA, I believe, was from them. Okay. Which was actually one of my my favorite materials. I had the red stuff or the red ASA, and it's just they, they made really good materials. Um, not yep. just you know nicely packaged, uh, good tolerances, and mm. but it was also good base material. That mm-hmm. was the other thing. So I always liked this stuff. It was on the pricey side, to be honest. Um, it yep. was not the cheapest material. And I believe that was one of the reasons why they had to shut down in the end um, because, uh, well, competition, right? There's this yeah. mass manufacturing happening of filaments now. And if you're just a two-man, three-man team, mm-hmm. uh, you it's hard to keep up with that if you're mm-hmm. doing specialty materials. Yeah. Well, you have to put out tons of material if you're just making like <laughs> a couple of dimes per roll. So... Yeah, yeah. It, it it's getting harder and harder. Also, f- all of the filament which is coming to well our market from China, even though there are still plenty of filament manufacturers around here in Europe, which I sometimes ask, where I sometimes ask myself how they are really able to yeah, s- stack up against um, the Chinese influx. But I think it's still sometimes yeah quality of the material and you know what you're getting and it's more repeatable and things like these and the, i think a part of it is also if you're making like your basic materials like a, a pla you can get the raw materials for pretty much the same rate as like a, a chinese vendor can and yeah. the thing from china is always shipping is one of the main costs so mm. if you ship up just a one kilogram roll of raw material from china that is going to add considerable cost to your uh, to your final sales price, instead manufacturing locally, local-ishly, um, you don't have that. You, you transport your your resin in bulk. That's a lot cheaper. So there may be a, a business case for just doing like, you know, probably not not like Rigiding did it with like super high, well, super nice materials that are sold at a premium. But just doing like normal stuff that people are actually going to print with, and yeah. I think that that's how, uh, for example, Dustin is staying afloat. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be doing pretty well. Yeah, because um, they have really competitive prices. You yes. pay like the twenty bucks per kilogram. Twenty bucks per kilogram roughly. for the for the nicer colors. You pay, I think, like twenty two or twenty three, and that's shipped. Or is it share? Uh, I think you get free shipping if you buy like four or five spools. Okay. So, basic, normal, good, consistent material. You know what you're getting. Um, I think that can be can still be a um, you know a market. But you know, I I, I kind of miss rigiding uh, <laughs> now that they're not here anymore because they they had those specialty stuff that uh, I really liked printing with. Yeah, but they're not shutting totally down. They well. I think as I have read it, they are continuing with like educational stuff towards 3D printing. Yeah. So their first product, I think, is a like a complete printer debugging guide um, yeah. that they're printing on an on a e-learning platform or printing, publishing on an e-learning platform. Um, I guess they they know their stuff. Um, that's for sure. They, they know how to run a printer and how to, how to diagnose mm-hmm. um, prints. So that's their first new product, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting that they're competing with us now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
and we are giving away our uh, kind of our knowledge for free. No, yeah. I, I'm I'm really interested to see if this is a business model that pays out for them because um, the guide is fifteen dollars. You have yeah. to sell a ton of them. Well, it's it's like, the internet, right? You don't have a like a you don't have to to run a sales pitch for every single one. It's yeah. we produce it's it the and it's on internet. There. <laughs> I've, and I think five years ago, so I produced the course with video back then, Video to Brain, which is now LinkedIn Learning, and I'm still getting oh, yes. payouts uh, and, com oh, yes. and commissions from that. It's not a lot, but it's like every every um, every quarter. I, yeah, they send yeah. me like sixty euros or something, and I'm like, yay! <laughs> There are a couple of uh, of episodes of your course I st I think available for free, and yeah, it's it's really funny to watch them with your uh, bavarian accent <laughs> yeah because that that is a german course that is not <laughs> that is a german course and there are a couple of other youtubers around that also sell 3d printing books there is um 3d printing general he has one yep. um chap doesn't uh the 3d printing professor he also has one And even a couple of more, uh, and they're selling their books. I think even over Amazon. So yeah, um, they might be making a dime or two. Or I mean, it doesn't even have to be uh, like actual books on on the subject. Um, God, what's his name? I'm bad with names. I like to make stuff. Yeah. Um, what's his name? God damn it, Bob Craiglet. Yes, Bob Craig. Bob. Yeah, yeah Bob, Bob, Bob. 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 Um, here's a book on yeah. i think more on the hey how how did i you know get this entire thing running how do i now have a, a business that is you know me being able to make whatever i want i i, I think if if i i don't i don't read enough um i should probably pick that up i think <laughs> okay would be nice so i mean yeah books as i've heard are a lot of work and don't pay very well um but maybe if it's If it's like an actual factual, you know, guide or, uh, you know, getting started basics kind of thing, maybe that works. Yeah. I hope for them. They've been, for sure. well, they've been nice to you sending you filament. They've been nice to me sending me also a roll of filament yeah. and, a, and a really, really cool kitchen knife. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope it works out for them. For sure. All right. Um, let me just make some notes here. How are we doing on time? We are at 54 minutes. Yeah, we need to like get a bit a little bit faster. So you are going to the East Coast Rep Rep Festival, which is Earth. in like three weeks. Earth. <laughs> Earth. Uh three is it three weeks in a month? I, I actually need to check my Something calendar. Like but that. like yeah, yeah, soon-ish. And they are having a 3D benchy printing competition. Which is which? I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So, who, who's going to talk about this? You and me. <laughs> you, me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so what they what they're putting up, and they I think they've asked me to to be in, on the panel for that, uh, judging other people's prints, because apparently I'm good at that. Um, is they have quote print the highest quality 3D benchy in the shortest amount of time. So they've got two competition brackets categories: uh, 30 minutes and 60 minutes. So you get to print a benchy. And it has to be full-sized, I assume, um, because otherwise a benchy doesn't really make sense. And you have to finish it in 30 minutes. I think, like, heat-up times don't account for that, but, like, actual printing time. 
So you get one filament and you have to print it on site on Saturday at Earth. So uh, everyone gets the same filament. Everyone gets the exact same filament, yes. Okay. No special high-flow um, fabidashery filament that you can just squeeze out. Just normal, <laughs> you know, same same for everyone. And that's interesting because, for example, um, no model modifications, that's a requirement, but slicing mesh modifiers are allowed. And the only, like, the only uh, category that they're judging on is quality. Not, is it strong? Is it, I don't know, what color is it? Or it's it's literally just how good does it look? So, Devon, what would you do to get a model printed as pretty as possible in the shortest amount of time? It's really hard. Um, I thought about that. And there are different approaches you can do. So, I don't know, reducing the amount of perimeters you use. Maybe just use one. But then you make sure that it's through. just... That is the question. If you maybe print the infill first, um, printing at higher temperatures and faster, having a lot of cooling. Um, I, I thought about the slicing mesh modifiers and in the short of mod- amount of time I had to think about that, I'm not 100% sure how this might be helping you. Uh, the mesh modifiers could be used to change the amount of infill yeah. or perimeters at specific locations. But mm, I don't know, you wouldn't be using that much infill in the first place. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd want to get a, uh, a nice balance between having your top layers cave in and uh, not using much material in the infill. So, mm-hmm. Or using too much material in the infill. So I think just having a... Um, Actually, going off of the original geometry of the 3D Benchy, having what Cura does actually natively without mesh modifiers is having staggered infill. So the closer it gets to the top surface, mm. the denser it gets. So I think that would be a, a huge um, a huge opportunity there. Also, things like um, being able to set speeds for certain areas very precisely. Mm. Um, no. Knowing exactly how slow you need to go for your filament to start curling um, like, for example, being able to, you know, where, where it prints the bow, where it usually curls up at the front mm. or the chimney kind of melting down, being very precisely able to control speeds and temperatures possibly for those yeah. sections. I mean, there, there's a ton of, of optimization opportunity. Um, and it will be really interesting to see with what other ideas the people come up, what slice they were using, what machine they were printing on it. Probably a Delta can print faster than a a Prusa. But then a Delta would be a Bowden. So what's the trade-off there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's for sure going to be tough to judge quality, whatever that means. Um, You know, how do you judge a caved-in top layer versus uh, infill poking through? Like, is that the same? Is one worse Mm -hmm. than the other? (sighs) I, I was actually talking to... Uh, Paul Poxdellas about that and um, there were ideas shuffled around what what could be done and uh, well I currently until I think next week still have my 3D scanner right here could you use a 3D scanner (laughs) to judge the deviation um, of the printed part to like the nominal STL model is that really something which is related to 
um, something that is related to quality. Uh, I don't know. Does quality even degenerate if like small outliers, if you have blobs on the surface, this probably degenerates the quality way more than if your part is a little bit under or oversized. Yeah. And like, is layer height even something to consider? Like, is a, a print that is printed with a 0.3 worse quality than one that is printed in 0.2? So I think quality is not something that you can like actually no. metrically measure. Um, you can't point a 3D scanner at it and say, okay, here's the standard deviation for the entire surface and, and we're at 0.05 millimeters and that's better than the other one that's 0.05. No. Oh, seven. Because how do you, how do you judge like smaller surface imperfections? Is that worse than having continuous or small imperfections everywhere mm. than having like one large outlier? Like, mm. It's tough. It's, it's, it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be really interesting. It's gonna be really interesting, and it's probably also gonna be really interesting with what ideas come up to like bend around the rules. Is for sure like using. Um, and, and a slicing offset so how do you call it an xy offset or something like yeah, that so you have which is shrink, which is shrinking <laughs> the part a little bit uh which is helping you with printing it maybe just like one or two percent faster uh is that against the rules is that in the rules so i'm kind of upset that i'm not there because i think it's really interesting to uh to participate in that yeah, and you- to everyone who is attending earth i think they probably need to take their 3d printers with them they probably can um can already like practice at home yeah, for sure uh, but then I mean, uh, you don't have it to needs to be printed at earth it needs to be printed there yeah but i, yeah. I mean i slicing mesh modifiers are allowed i believe you can bring your g-code yeah I would imagine that. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it could be hyper, it could be hand optimized, like actually going by, okay, this yeah. line needs to be that fast. But I, I would I would consider that valid if you bring your own G-code. Yeah, totally. And well, may, maybe in the end, there are a couple of ideas coming from such a competition that could make it into future 3D printing slicers to make 3D printing uh, more efficient. For sure. That would be... That would be the, the ideal outcome. <laughs> no. So yeah, you're gonna be there, uh, Joe, the 3D maker noob, I also gonna be there. So yeah, and of course the entire US crowd is gonna be there. Uh, for them, it's yeah. just a, a quick trip. Well, for um, the 3D printing nerd, it's it's well, quite yeah. a way. It's across the US, but it's across the US. It's just across He's the continent, not even but leaving still the country, probably. man. Like. Yes, but still a five-hour flight. That's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, in which state is Washington? Earth? It's in Washington. So it's, it's near Baltimore, I, I believe. Cool. Yeah. One of the reasons why I didn't go to Earth, even though I would have really liked to, is just the fact that I have been flying so much this year and I kind of need to watch my carbon footprint a little bit. Yeah, we, we noted on that before we started. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm like way I, past. But I, yeah. I, I did sign the lease on an EV uh, last week. Okay, cool. Getting rid of my BMW and getting a Nissan Leaf. 
A Nissan Leaf. Yeah. Cool. Um, a, a new one? Uh, it's their show car, basically. It's, it's almost okay. a year old, but it's the, it's the current generation. It has ProPilot. That was one of the, the features I wanted. Like the cool lane keep. It is ba- it's like a, a Tesla Autopilot light. Okay. Not navigate on all. It's, just, it's lane keep active and, and adaptive cruise control. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Yeah, I th- I think that kind of concludes it. So I I hope to be back at the West uh, the Midwest Rap Rap Festival next year, but I think there isn't a date out yet for that. It's probably gonna be around the same time as it was all these past years. So, <laughs> so it's probably gonna be the next big three printing yeah. venue. I I'm going. Apparently, to. Earth is getting pretty big too. I mean, I'm not expecting like okay. Earth levels of of crazy, but. Uh, it should be a fairly decently sized event. And like cool. all the big players are going to be there. Um, so it's like an, an accepted show now. I mean, cool. they, they got there pretty fast. Yeah. Going to be interesting. My first time there. Yeah. It's old, but yeah, we've got a lot to MakerBot. Yeah, we have a lot of, <laughs> to catch up. Uh, Make. MakerBot was like just promoting their MakerBot method once again with the method ABS, which is supposedly way better than standard 3D printing ABS. And somebody was asking us what we think of that and if we could kind of verify or debunk those claims. So I don't know. What's your um, what's your call on that? <laughs> So, I mean, it's like the, uh, the the general comparison. This is our premium material. And this is generic ABS. <laughs> I mean, they, they're just quoting desktop 3D printer ABS um, yeah. and giving like nice comparisons of like... They are not even comparing it to their MakerBot ABS because the MakerBot also uses lots of ABS, doesn't it? Or oh, it's one of the main materials? What do you mean? What? The the maker the old maker bots, uh, isn't the main material main material you print on those just also ABS mm. or are they tuned for PLA? Uh, well, whatever. I I think I, you can print ABS on those, and it would have been interesting to right. to do the comparison. Right. I mean, because they're they're claiming um, higher tensile strength around 12% higher stiffness so modulus of 25% and higher heat resistance and and things like these yeah it's it's interesting how they're comparing uh the the heat deflection temperature in like percent they're saying 15 uh, 15 degrees is 20% higher like (laughs) reference to what (laughs) yeah they they should have done it in kelvin then it wouldn't have been that much of a difference is it Ah, in, in in Fahrenheit, it would be it would be less. Yeah, so I guess it, if if they want yeah. the maximum percentage, if we're referencing zero C as as like nothing, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But still, um, first of all, what what are they comparing to? On what printer? On what specific material? On what print settings? Like we both have seen in in film and testing that there is such a huge range in how well like strength-wise, a material can print just by changing a few settings. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's saying hey, uh, tensile strength, I don't know if that's layer adhesion or something. But they're also showing, hey, our competitor 
has delamination in its prints and the method completes the print entirely. Uh, it's just sub- such an abstract comparison and like, there, there's better and there's worse ABS materials for, mm. for any... Like, it doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. It, it's... Uh, I wouldn't even put that it's like bullshit promo, but they are kind of putting their MakerBot method again at a point where it kind of reminds me of the comparisons you see with the Formlabs printers <laughs> and comparing that to FDM, to horrible FDM. Um, the thing is with the MakerBot method, they have kind of a nice enclosed chamber. They have their own printer, they have their own material, they have their own slicer. So they can tune that material to a point that it is really working well on their machine and also performs really well. If you're buying kind of a a standard ABS at your uh, local uh, filament reseller, um, this material needs to work with a large variety of printers. It needs to work mostly with open style printers. It also has to work with closed printers and things like these. So you can probably tune it in a way that precisely to one specific application as you do it for something different uh, for for yeah what what, what MakerBot is doing. That's so. true. I mean, there's probably no doubt that if the method does everything that they're advertising, it's actually a good printer for ABS. Like, yeah, like, definitely. It's I, closed. It's heated. It's you know optimized for that. Sure. Probably probably good machine, but how much better is it than you know say you put a Prusa in a box? Yeah. that's up for discussion yeah and actually i'm looking at this part right now I'm, I'm seeing i'm seeing some artifacts that look like the very normal 3d printing artifacts so <laughs> so um, the, the thing is oh, yeah, yeah definitely um the thing is so we have a kind of professional 3d printer at work which um also has a closed heated chamber and the thing is I wanted to buy different ABS filament than the one that you can buy from the manufacturer just because they sell it for a horrible high amount of money. (laughs) As manufacturers (laughs) tend to do, yeah. As manufacturers tend to do. Um, But the thing was, all of the standard ABS materials that I had at home, they had, I think, a problem with the heated build chamber. They were curling up and stuff like that Mm. because i think they were like um tuned in a way that they kind of work better in a in a cold environment and in this printer you can heat up the printing chamber to 100 degrees celsius so for for abs you kind of um put it to like 60 degrees celsius but um this temperature might already be too much for the standard abs materials that um well we we kind of know so um they either tuned their process or that material in a way that it works quite well with the machine and it produces beautiful abs prints yeah but i i I couldn't i and i was really i was really sad Uh, i i couldn't reproduce these nice printing results with the standard abs i i was using right here (laughs) i mean that that's the thing abs is not just one material like hey you have yeah. a even even a nylon isn't isn't always this 
every polymer has just so many different varieties of it where it's like, hey, it's been polymerized differently or it has a different with ABS. It's actually three compounds plus X, <laughs> whatever that they're putting in on top of mm. that. And you can vary how much of each you put in. Um, even with PLA, um, you've got your base blends of PLA that you can get from NGO, um, NatureWorks. And then on top of that, you add your your colorant, your master batch, you add in your uh, elastifiers, you add in whatever else you want. Um, and just because it's it's ABS with PLA doesn't mean it's always the same material. There's, like you said, they're optimized for different things. Or maybe maybe some 3D printing filaments are just not optimized for every for anything. Yeah. They're just like the, the cheapest stuff they could get. Yeah. So I, I think to conclude that I'm really looking forward to see results of the MakerBot method on my own. And maybe I have the chance to see some of that at form next this year. Maybe you have the chance to see something at uh, TCT in Birmingham in a couple of weeks. I believe... I think I interviewed them at, well, for, um, yeah, not for my, for my channel, but yeah, they, they probably are going to be there. I'm thinking. Yeah. One last topic to go. We're working yeah. through it. <laughs> We're getting there. Uh, so teaching tech, Michael. Yes. Um, Aussie YouTube fellow posted a video also Uh, one or two weeks ago about non-planner 3D printing. Um, non-planner 3D printing has been around for a while, but uh, there was a, I think, master thesis released with a modified version of uh, Slick 3R that can be used to slice a model in a way that the top surface is that for printing the top surface of, of the part, the print head is not only moving in X and Y direction, but it also uses the C direction. So real, actually real 3D printing. Yeah, so it, it and the, the thing contour. is, since he released that video, I am getting tons and tons of comments and people are talking to me about, oh, what do you think about non-planner 3D printing? And does it help strength? And what do you think about it? And How will that change 3D printing and things like these? So um, I think it's a nice method, but uh, you have been trying it on your own, on your own, I think. I, have, I haven't been trying it on my own because it's only compiled for Linux and things like these. Um, I think it can only be used in a real narrow margin because there are so many things that are limiting this method um, that it can perform in a way that it would be really beneficial for the prints as we know them today. Is that a MakerBot joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the nice, the, the, the thing is, and even if you're looking or if you're watching his video, is that he had to remove um, the fan shroud around his extruder and you have to get as much clearance as possible that you can um, use that non-planar 3D printing to a specific angle and um, you are kind of limited in that way yeah. at, in the first place. And then geometry also changes it as well. I don't know, maybe you can uh, say a couple of things about the version that you have tried out and your successes or failure yeah. failures that you have had. Um, okay, so I did try it out in VirtualBox. 
doesn't work. Slick uh, Theory just has rendering errors. So I grabbed an old laptop, old laptop, and uh, set up a, a Ubuntu system on there. Set the entire thing up. Works. I can use it. I can I can slice things with it. Now the limitation I found, which is a pretty big like, hey, we can do non-planar slicing now. Asterix. Um, it only works really with hand-selected models. I've not found a single like organic model, one that I, that I would have actually printed on a normal machine, that non-planar slicing actually did anything for. Like you, you, you couldn't even see any sort of, of deviation from the just regular squarely sliced model. Um, so, I mean, that that's why we're seeing that, that nice wavy pattern that is quite possibly hand-optimized for the algorithm to pick it up. Um, mm -hmm. I do need to set, you have a, a setting for how high can the maximum travel be from your highest to your lowest spot in one layer. You do have a setting for the angle. Um, I did get the slicer to produce non-planar top surfaces if I really set those somewhat aggressive, aggressively to a point where like you'd have to get rid of really everything around your, your 3D printer's nozzle essentially including the heater block. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you need you need one of those old, really pointy, um, I think Printabody used some of those hotends, um, like really slim, really pointy hotends, no fan drop because you, you need that continuous angle up around the nozzle. Um, so that's probably just a limitation of the implementation of that very, very slicer that you can get. Um, that is just kind of lazy on picking up on, on slightly slanted surfaces and all that and is on the very conservative side. The other thing that I've noticed is that the algorithm as it currently stands only picks up the very top layer of any model. So if you have, do I have an example of anything here? I cannot show you that. Um, if you have a Benchy. I, I actually don't have a Benchy. Oh, yeah. I don't have a bench here around you, but I have a Raspberry Pi. This is a, let me get this right. This is a Model 2, not a Model 3. So if you have, for example, this, if you have a, a, a Raspberry Pi that has like the USB ports poking out, this main surface on the PCB, it could be printed non-planar if you print it like that at an angle. It could be printed with the non-planar method, but it's only going to pick up that very top surface. So let's say these were curved over. It would pick up that, but not this. That again is a limitation of the um, of the algorithm of the implementation. I think so for a three D Benchy, it does not pick up the roof over the cabin that is slanted because there's still something on top of it. It does not print onto non-planar layers, which is all something that could be solved with the implementation of that that very specific algorithm. But what still stands is that you do need very good clearance around your your tool head. Um, mm at the expense of part cooling potentially but if you if you design smartly for it, it may work it may work it could be something that that is actually useful in some cases because but only in some cases here's the thing though um it is not meant to like if you have a 45 degree angle where you have like layers quite finely where you don't see those discrete layer steps where it's like mm. one one smooth surface it's not meant for that it's i think it's really only meant for taking care of those if you have a really um, really shallow inclination where you have like one step every few millimeters where you actually see each layer step. It's meant to take care of that. And that's where, it, where it's needed the most. If you, if you have something steeper, you have a relatively smooth surface and you don't need the, mm. the non-planarness. 
Yeah. Or also for non-regular surfaces, uh, mm. like the top of a, of a skull or something where it's actually smoothed over. Yeah. Could be nice. I mean, again, the implementation that it can use right now is kind of useless, to be honest. Um, mm. And you have to really, really push it aggressively to do anything. But like our printers can do it, right? If you, Even if you do just an ever so slight um, maximum height, it's like, you know, what's mm-hmm. the distance between the tip of the nozzle and the heater block? That's like three millimeters, four millimeters or something. Mm-hmm. I think that would already help a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, there's still a lot to figure out. And probably the reason why nobody did it is because it's not easy or nobody did it so far. Yeah. It's nice. But yeah, but at, at this moment, well, kind of useless. Yeah, um, I kind of compared it from time to time to um, the automatic variable layer height thing that I think is imp- uh, that I think is implemented in Cura, yeah. where the slicer automatically changes the layer height depending on the angle you're printing. If you have steeper angles, it uses lower layer heights. Yeah. Is, well, steeper yeah, as in well uses, as in shallow, shallower. Yeah. 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 However you want to put it, um, this algorithm is working very nice for specific models. But everything that gets a bit more complicated and which is not as simple as a chess piece or something like that, it just doesn't work anymore because at every location of the part, you have a triangle that has a kind of a shallow angle. So it would just slice everything at a really shallow angle. And I think this is kind of similar to the non-planar 3D printing because there um, it I think it w- would work kind of nice for a lot of models, but for many, it's just not feasible because you have all of the time specific parts that could or could not be um, non-planarly be sliced. And that makes it kind of useless again for the vast majority. So I think it is not something that we see with every, like, slicer in the future and every slicing operation that always non-planar 3d uh, non-planar slicing is used but there could be specific applications and maybe a specific slicer which implements that that you can use for a specific model that you're printing now what's popping into my head right now is is non-planar actually better than just doing like regular layers than having you know consistent layer spacing because if i'm looking at like for example a let's say a skull skull that's printed like this where like you're yeah whatever that part in the back is um that's like really round and smooth what you'd have with non-planar is you get regular layer 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 layer, and then at the top you suddenly have to jump to oh now it's a smooth surface Mm. wouldn't that be more distracting or more uh, more more jarring than having just layers consistently So so maybe the applications will not be for really organic models because there it might be a bit distracting. But if you're looking at an aerofoil of a wing, there it has its benefits. So the wing, the yeah, top yeah, of the yeah. wing, where oh, you right. kind so of you, you, print um, the whole top of I the mean, wing. Typically, in, if that's the wing, you'd print it like standing up. So you have your, your air going over it like that. But yeah, yeah, if you print it flat, then yes, that can definitely make sense. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this is, I think this was actually one of the models that he showed in his master thesis where it was working well. And then we also have the model that um, Michael from Teaching Tech kind of designed, which is kind of flat and shallow and just has like a few tiny there, inclinations. Yeah. And there it's working really well, but everything that is a little bit more, it's not working anymore due to the constraints that you have with clearance around the nozzle and probably also the shape of the nozzle itself because the nozzle is not just a like a, a small tube where the material is yeah. coming out it has kind of a significant flat surface which is around. two and a half times the diameter of the bore typically on e3d nozzles so it is yeah. quite large so yeah so yeah. you would need to use uh, specifically designed nozzles for such an application, yeah. airbrush nozzles and exactly. things like this. Um, I mean, yeah. airbrush nozzles specifically are very steep on the sides. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you can only push it so far because at some point you just, if, if you do like a, an 80 degree steep part, like that's not going to do much, just mm -hmm. riding up and down that, yeah. that slope. You're mm -hmm. not going to be laying material down onto the part. You're just going to be mm -hmm. squeezing it past the part. Yeah, there is a like non-planar support algorithm implemented in uh, uh, Patio, where um, the supports under a supported surface is uh, the the printer prints kind of needles where then the next layer is put onto. This is already implemented in Pathion, which is, in my opinion, a really, really nice mm, new method of supporting specific areas. And they actually claim that you get way nicer down-facing surfaces with only this kind of needle support that you have So there. that's not... Okay, so you're not printing a non-planar layer, like we just said, as an interface layer where the, where the next part... No. Nope. But you're actually moving the nozzle just straight up in Z. And then... Yeah. Okay. You, you kind of uh, print a sawtooth pattern right. at the location where you will have the supports later. Right. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. just that idea of not just having everything forced into a layer, into an yeah. XY layer, and just Z yeah. being uh, discrete... There's, there's more to it. There's more there. No. And it's, uh, it's so, so Michael from Teaching Tech was totally right. I think he started his video with something like, what if I told you that your 3D printer is actually only printing in 2.5 dimensions? Yeah, Which that's totally true. Totally correct. Yeah. yeah. It makes 3D objects, yeah. but technically it's yeah. just too nifty. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I've, I'm excited to see what's, coming up there in the future maybe there are some other students around to kind of try to optimize or to to like um just uh just improve that algorithm in another thesis or even if there might be an a slicing company that tries to implement that in a a better way in their slicing software yeah. to get I, f I feel like this is very much a math problem yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to, to figure out like where can you do what um yeah i i think even just identifying the surfaces where you can use it it's already interesting to see in the new prusa slicer version the um the tool that you can use 
to put your model flat on the print bed where they somehow analyze yeah. the outer shell of a part to identify surfaces that might be interesting for you to put the model on. I think th this is one of... I, I love this feature so much because in Cura doesn't have something like that at all. The drop on bed is just not never working yeah, for me. That's the automatic one, right? Simplify 3D has uh, where you can sec select one triangle and the uh, Simplify 3D will yeah. orientate your model um, according to that triangle you have selected. And I think Netfab and did it very similarly too. If you do it directly yeah. in Netfab, it also has that one triangle thing. Yeah. But yeah, this this is, I think they kind of tackled a little bit similar problems, like having 100,000 triangles and identifying just 10 surfaces that might be interesting as surfaces to lay a model flat on the table. Yeah, for, I mean, for, for Prusa, I think it's, uh, what is it called? Convex shell or something, where it, yeah. it creates a second geometry that encases the first one, but is all yes. flat or convex uh, mm -hmm. shapes. And basically, it shows oh, you yeah. all the all the planes or all the triangles uh, of that shape. I think that's something that that is solved. But like the non-planar thing is just so yeah. non. Well, a mathematician or an actual programmer probably knows more about that. The yeah. I mean, again, I'm excited about what's coming from this because this is like this is literally the first version of non-planar slicing that is available for everyone to try out. I don't think there's been a slicer out there that does that yet. So nope. We're, we're just seeing the very first version of it. Yeah. And if you want to try it out on your own, you can download the G code file that yeah. um, Teaching Tech has created. I think it's on Thingiverse. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you want to, if you want to actually use the slicer yourself, you will need to set up a Linux system and hack in a few command line commands. Not that hard if you've done it before, but. Uh, not a not a starter uh, project either. So you need to be somewhat confident with Linux because the the guide that they have has a few uh, plot holes. So you you need to be able to work around those. But it's still doable. It's doable, definitely. All right, I think that concludes the topic, and we <laughs> we should move on to the questions. All right, we're already at one and a half hours. Let's do out of those three questions. Let's throw one out. I already threw one out. Okay, so we're ready for. Um, I will throw out another one. Let's answer that next time. It's actually, you, you just deleted that. Okay, I'll read the first uh, one. Um, okay, Jeffrey Reed was asking on. I believe that's on YouTube, right? Hi guys, uh, yes. excellent podcast. And with that said, I have an idea for a YouTube video. I've been watching Stefan's Polymax, Stefan's Polymax PC video and seeing his dry box in it. It occurred to me that you guys should do a dry box segment. Yeah, why with humidity sensors and maybe even compare commercial units too. Thoughts? We did that. So you have a video on a DIY dry box. I have a video on a DIY dry box. We talked about the filler dry inline filament drying unit i think also shortly yeah. once on one of the podcasts yeah so there is a lot of information out there yeah i mean the, the thing that i've not done yet is i mean i've built the box with silica gel in it and filament spool holes which is not a big project um but I've not shown like measurements of how dry it actually keeps it. 
Um, I'm not sure what commercial units are out there. There would be there, dry bar. I mean, there's those yogurt maker things. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but these are just the dehumidifier. Right. Or? Yeah. So no, they're, they're just heaters, essentially. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it the, the drying units, yeah. the modified yeah. yogurt makers? <laughs> there are commercial units around. I think one is actually called Filla Dry, which is kind of a rebranded uh, dehumidifier with i don't know um the filler cons the filler dry is the uh the, the inline thing is it yeah okay um anyways so yeah it is <laughs> uh so the thing about um, how are they working and things like these i have made a video about what the difference in print quality and strength is if you dry, for example, your PTG filament. Yeah. Um, so this is out there. You can find that on my channel and maybe even down in the show notes. So in that video, I have compared um, non-dried PTG filament that was out in my in my office for quite a while. Um, PTG filament that I soaked in water for half a week and then really freshly dried PTG filament that came out of my, I think my, oh no, my dehydrator. And there is a difference with PTG. It's not as big as with um, nylon, for example, oh, yeah. which is gets or just becomes unprintable yeah. at um, specific moisture levels. But um, keeping your filament dry and if you have printing problems and this could even be jams or stringing, yeah. drying out your filaments from time to time, even PLA or PTG can just help a lot. Very much agreed. Um, and yeah. as far as how well do the dry boxes work, um, they work. If you have like a ton of silica gel in there, they keep it dry pretty well. You have to dry it every, I don't know, year or so, just throw it in the oven until it turns orange yeah. again. And it does the job, does the trick. I'm not sure how much it actually de or dries an already wet filament, how much moisture it actually sucks out without heat. I'd say none at all. None at all, okay. So Is my opinion. That's a possibility, very much. Um, but yeah. Um, what did you do to the next question? It's all black. Um, but uh, the... Yeah, keep your keep your filament dry. Dry boxes work, um, and if you do need to dry them, chuck them in the oven. Make sure they don't melt, and uh, you're good to go. All right. Do so. Do not want to answer that that next question real quick. Ah, uh, yeah, we can do. Yeah, that. you know that's a short one. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, Vanna, you you just made it really hard to read. I don't know what you did to. I, I want <laughs> none. There you go. <laughs> okay. Werner is asking uh, or saying sponsors are fine. Do you still earn money with YouTube Premium with no ads? Simple answer. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And in fact, from what I've seen, um, YouTube Premium actually pays better than watching with ads. So you're very much invited mm -hmm. to watch uh, our videos if you have YouTube Premium. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the YouTube originals uh, will become free in a couple of weeks. So I hope that there aren't that many people that jump off the YouTube Premium wagon again. Because you 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 were you were gone in Japan. You've not noticed this, but do you, do you have YouTube Premium? 
I do. Okay, so you wouldn't notice that at all, but YouTube has, I think, two weeks ago or so, started doing double ads. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> on pretty much every video. Plus, I think the interstitials have become way more frequent. At least it feels like it. So, pretty much every video video you watch, you'll get one like seven second unskippable one plus one skippable. One of them is is usually muted or or no audio. So mm. that has been really annoying. Um, so if you want to get YouTube Premium, that might be another incentive to do so. Uh, so you don't have YouTube Premium. I do not. I. You can deduct that from your taxes. Can At least I? I'm doing You're that. You're doing that? Okay. Yeah. I mean, makes sense. <laughs> but I, I do. I, I'm, I do want to experience uh, YouTube like the people do. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, and also, yeah. I, I mean, this is this is extortion basically from YouTube. Um, just going like, hey, you know, we're just going to add another ad in front of your video. Mm. We'll, yeah. we'll keep adding them until you buy premium. <laughs> I'm not. Mm. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> you can blackmail me like that. <laughs> well, you could still use an ad blocker, which is bad for us, but that's still possible. Yeah, uh, I fully admitted you. If I ever shown a screen capture of my browser, yes, I do use an ad blocker too. Mm. The thing I was enjoying, well, the thing why I was enjoying YouTube also on my vacation now is that I downloaded a bunch of videos just in the YouTube app for the plane uh, that I could watch there. True. And... Um, Yeah, playing videos um, in, like, how do you say, if, if your screen is black, that's also sometimes kind of nice if you want to, for example, listen to Just music. Just background, or, yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So if you guys want to get YouTube Premium, like, we're not going to stop you. Yeah. We'd actually appreciate it. <laughs> And the last one from David Mulligan. Where can I find resources on matching drivers to motors? Specifically, I would like to know what are the best match for my TMC 2130s. Do all Trinamic drivers prefer the same motor type? Tom, <laughs> can you please answer that question? Because I don't have a clue. I don't have I... A, a conclusive answer to that as well, um, or either. Uh, my Padawan, who I've taught 3D printing um, in the last few years, is actually doing some stepper testing right now between TMCs and DRBs and, and A, 1 um just yesterday you got a 48 uh, 58 milli henry motor which is extremely high inductivity um and apparently it's working really well with the team c's um like the really low inductivity ones would be like one point something milli henry um those are the ones that you're going to find as 2.5 amps typically mm. and as far as what motors work well with what drivers um I kind of cheated and just looked up what motors Prusa uses with their TMC 2130s. Uh, <laughs> so what they're using is, I believe, a 6.8 millihenry motor with a 1.2 amp or 1 amp rating. So it is on the lower current side. It's a 40 millimeter length motor, I believe. Um, they're using different ones for Z and for XY. But you can you can basically look up the part number and find all the specs for it. Um so it's it's on the higher inductivity side and there are a few models that um somewhat closely match that and i'll try to um link one in the show notes below because those i mean those work well for the um for the tmcs now there is also that that bit where trinamic drivers have that nice feature where you can match where you can like 
pre-process or post-process um, microstepping curves where you can adjust for, hey, my microsteps aren't perfectly sinusoidal or perfectly um, evenly spaced. And you can actually upload into the driver a table that will correct for that. So I believe Prusa are actually doing that um, with the newest firmers. Um, but of course, as a, as a user, as a builder, you're not going to have that option. You're not going to be able to, well, probably not going to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, for TMCs, I would say like mid to high inductivity motors with a lower current, rate of current. So cool. Are we going to see a video about your um, driver test? Once I work through the rest of the, of the queue, and again, it's not it's not me doing the tests. I'm just I'm just okay. having him do do all of that, and then at the end I'll swoop in and say like, "Hey, you know what 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 have you learned? <laughs> Tell me all about it." <laughs> all right, cool. I think that actually concludes it for today. Yay! We are so long into the podcast already. And I mean, it's, yeah. we had to make up for four weeks. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ne next one right. is going to be shorter, and you know, definitely not that long of a wait. So yeah, thank you guys <laughs> for for sticking through the podcast. Thank you for waiting so long for this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your time, Tom. Yeah, thank you for your time, and Stefan. Get subscribed, support us on Patreon, and get YouTube Premium because it pays well for us. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all right. See you guys in the next see one. Ya. Bye. Hear you guys. Bye.